When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the NFL. Welcome to the NFL, rookie. What is happening, guys? It's your old pal Memphis here with a little preamble for this Wednesday's show. Now, normally on Wednesdays, you expect our gang from the Dynasty War Games, but due to a scheduling conflict, those guys are recording later in the week. They will still be here this week. Don't get upset or, hey, where's Jesse? You know, where's where's the game? Hey, they'll be here. They'll be here on Friday. So, Today, you're going to get a little rookie rundown with our buddy, with our boy, Dallas Hyder. Going to be talking about the potential rookies in the 2024 rookie class, keeping you a step ahead of being a step ahead. We'll be doing the Dynasty War Zone. That'll be on Thursday, of course. And then on Friday, you'll get the guys from the Dynasty War Games. So all the shows, you're getting the games, you're getting the zone. And we're going to give you a little rookie rundown this week with our boy Dallas. Super busy guy, but he jumped on, recorded a full-length show for you on top of the Prospect Premonition series he's been doing for the Dynasty Warzone. So sit back, relax, unless you're driving a car. Hands at 10 and 2, eyes on the road, put that phone down, enjoy this episode. I'll see you on Thursday. You, you can hear me on Thursday, 5 p.m. on the Player Profiler YouTube channel. And then Jesse and the gang will be back on Friday for the war games. And then if you're a player profiler, if you're a gambler, I'll be on Saturday on the juice. So that's the layout. That's the rundown. Speaking of the rundown, let's get to the rookie rundown with my main man, Dallas Hyder. Have a great week, guys. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the DWZ. That's right, the Dynasty Warzone's very own rookie rundown. As always, I am your host, Dallas. You can find me on all the socials at Salad Galore. That is Dallas spelled backwards with the double L galore. People, it is great to be back here at the time of recording. We are just after week eight and its conclusion in the NFL season. So the last time you heard my voice was for the quarter mark of the season for the rookie report cards which means that's right people it is the midway season mid-season specifically sorry uh rookie report cards for the 2023 nfl rookie draft class in relation to fantasy football which is why we are all here uh it has been a couple of weeks a couple of movers shakers and new additions to some of the spots and some drops 
mainly due to some injuries that are a little bit concerning to some of the players. And then there's quite a few players that are just landsliding down this board as we get further on in the season. This is what happens with every class. We come into a pool of about 50 players in total in standard 12-man leagues that everyone is kind of interested in. Uh, feels like could be viable for your team. And then by the end of the season, we end up with right around 12 that end up being viable throughout multiple years. Um, that's about the track record we're on pace for this 2023 rookie draft class. And I expect it to continue for years to come, but it is my duty here on the Rookie Report Card episode to bring up basically the status of these rookies that we are so inclined to talk about here in the dynasty space. In total, we're looking at north of 30 here. Like I said, I like to cover as many of the names as we actually care about. These are guys we've been talking about since early on in the pre-draft process for the 2023 class, and they are names that will not go away just due to the hopium and copium that a lot of people have for this rookie class as we uh, you know, go into 2024. So I'm kind of here, and the main purpose of this segment, honestly, is to kind of hash out all the takes that we had at the beginning of the year, um, where we're at with those takes, and then the actual true outlook for these guys. Uh, a common term that gets tossed around quite a bit is post-hype sleepers. Um, a lot of times that's just called copium, my friends meaning you are just coping with the fact that your initial takes were not great. And I've been known to do it. You've been known to do it. And we're here to dispel it entirely. But that is it for the intro. Obviously, if you're not a member of the Patreon here on the Player Profiler chat or on the DWZ network, go ahead and do it. Um, it's a great place to be. Lots of fun chat conversations. I just recently had a conversation at the time of recording. Like I said, it is Tuesday now about uh, some Montez sweat news for the Chicago Bears. Very exciting on the IDP side of things and for my Bears to have at least one positive movement in the last two calendar years for us. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, do you want the bad news first or the good news first? Let's go reverse order this time and start with the bad news. I'm going to talk about the F-tier players. There are currently seven players in my F-tier that at current value and at projected value going forward, I want nothing to do with. Those seven players are some big names, and I'm going to go through them here now. Um, I'm going to be breaking it down as I classically do, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. There are no quarterbacks out of this year's class of note in the first couple of rounds, even in Superflex, that I am currently completely out on right now. Uh, but the running backs, there are a couple. Um, this one hurts me in my soul, but Deuce Vaughn at this time in the season is in the F tier. I don't see a way that he is going to get more work down the stretch. Uh, even when the Dallas Cowboys at times have needed a running back to step up. He has not been the one to get touches. He's been relatively healthy for most of the season, and he's only rocking a 2.3 PPR points per game average on the season. That just is not going to cut it at the running back position. He will bounce around the league, most likely not in Dallas next season. He will be on teams. He will be on practice squads. But unless he gets a true shot, I just don't understand how he's going to produce for your fantasy teams. Unfortunately, this is an L for me. One guy did not take an L on because I told you all not to be drafting him just because a landing spot was Tank Bigsby. Tank Bigsby on the season, even worse than Deuce Vaughn currently, um, has a massive issue with holding on to the ball. And that has led to him not seeing pretty much any work. Uh, in a season that the coaching staff and even Travis Etienne expected the touches to drop 
off quite a bit and have kind of a running back tandem in the backfield in Jacksonville. We have not seen it. It's pretty much been the Travis Etienne show, even when getting nicked up and injured over the last couple of weeks. Tank Bigsby still not seeing the field. A measly 1.9 PPR points per game in standard formats right now for carries, catches, etc. Uh, not going to cut it. He is just not the move. Um, this is actually RB4 or 5, I think, in the last couple of years for Jacksonville, where we as a community have for some reason tried to latch onto it just because we expect everything to be a committee if a running back is drafted anywhere in the first five rounds for a NFL team. And talent always rises to the top just like cream uh i don't have a little soundboard that memphis has but uh you hear the cream rises to the top right now if i had it um another running back the same type of issue same type of copium happening at the beginning of the season that i was not in on and i told you not to be in on even in the third round which is where his adp was going in august mr chase brown cincinnati Bengals. Same thing, cannot see the field whatsoever. He's currently fourth on the depth chart for the running backs. Not going to beat this guy with a dead horse, but he is under one yard per game average at 0.9 PPR points per game. Not going to cut it at the RB position, and there are way better flyers, including a couple of undrafted free agents I will discuss in some higher tiers that are relevant for your fantasy teams going forward. Switching it up, going to the wide receiver position here in the F tier, and we are here to discuss Mr. Jalen Hyatt, one of many top three round wide receivers in my F and D tier. Jalen Hyatt's entire shtick is his speed. It is his ability to game break and his ability to break down defenses deep. Um, People argued he had a more complete game than that. People argued that it didn't matter if he didn't have a complete game because the speed would translate to the NFL. What we have not seen is the translation of the speed to consistent fantasy performances on the Giants. Lots of question marks all around him. I get it. You want to make excuses for it? Go for it. But he's a guy that I had concerns for that I have not seen any alleviation of those specific concern points for me, i.e. route running, i.e. translation to the NFL, i.e. movement from a Tennessee extremely spread pass happy air raid offense to a true tried and true run the ball play action type scheme like they are running in the New York Giants offense underneath Brian Dable. Uh, if you want Hyatt, I would trade him to you. But guess what? I don't own any shares because I was not in on him. Uh, wouldn't be in on him, and you should probably be moving him the first time he has a really, really good game. He's had basically one game of over five points all season. The rest have been almost zeros entirely. Next uh, wide receiver, I know he just had a 50-yard performance against the Chicago Bears, but that should not be uh, you know moving anyone up anyone's boards here with fantasy football. That is Quentin Johnston, first-round wide receiver, Los Angeles Chargers, maybe a move for the future for people. This is the peak candidate for people to be talking about as a post-hype sleeper going into next season. But I find it extremely more likely that they bring in another wide receiver in the first or second rounds next year in the Los Angeles Chargers draft plans as opposed to just transitioning QJ as the wide receiver one. A lot of question marks going into the 2024 offense for the Chargers, even the end of the 2023 season with Mike Williams still going down and some concerns all around about this passing game, this rushing game, and this defense entirely. They're going to be a classic Chargers team, probably be flirting with that postseason berth, but unable to break through. QJ is not the answer for this offense. Uh, I, I said it during draft time. He is a worse version, basically, of 
Mike Williams and Mike Williams took three years to latch on basically. Uh, so just be concerned, uh, post type sleeper, you're going to be able to get a good value for him. I think the rest of the year, if you have him on your team. So this is me telling you as my advice, get him off your team while you can, um, get the best, basically best movement that you can. If he starts performing even a little bit over the next couple of weeks, try to push him towards a contender before that week, 11, week 12, uh, trade deadline that your teams and your leagues may have. That way you can recoup, hopefully, that back-end contenders first that you spend on him to use next year in a much better wide receiver class. Moving out of the wide receivers, the last two players in the F tier for me are two tight ends, and they are guys that just have not broken through, even with the injuries that are pressing their teams. Those are Luke Schoonmaker and Darnell Washington for the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers, respectively. Um, two guys with two entirely different games. You have Luke Schoonmaker, who was basically a Jake Ferguson clone, but for some reason, this offense in Dallas, even with all these targets going to the tight ends, is incapable to complete the balls to the tight ends. Thus, leading to a lot of incompletions, really poor score stat lines to even Jake Ferguson, who has been out snapping Shoemaker by like 80 to 20 metrics, basically. On the season for Shoemaker, you are looking at 1.3 points per game per average. Uh, also realized I forgot to mention the two for Jalen Hyatt and QJ. Both of them are sitting at 3.6 and 3.3 respectively on the season, and that is PPR points per game. So yucky, 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 my friends. Uh, Darnell Washington, this one is even more concerning than the Shoemaker. Shoemaker, I get it. This is probably the same type of debate that people had, again, like the Blake Jarwin versus the Dalton Schultz. I warned you that. Jake Ferguson was the way to go at the beginning of the season. No one wanted to listen to me, but it's fine again. Darnell Washington was a guy that did not have the passing chops, but was an absolute freaking unit. So it had to go to a landing spot that made the most sense. I was in on Washington as a good piece and a good mover in a true spread offense. Unfortunately, he ended up going to Pittsburgh. He got thrown behind Pat Fryermuth, who is a significantly better receiver than him. He was always going to be a blocker, but he's not even seeing the field as a blocker, which is concerning. He's sitting at 0.3 points per game in PPR averages. It ain't going to cut it. Both of these tight ends are gone, even in tight end premium on my rosters, trying to get what I can get for them. Odds are you spent a second or a third on these guys. Recouping a third or a fourth is probably a move I would be looking to do, especially if it's in the 2024 class. That's the end of the F category. We will move on to the D. As a reminder, the D category, I am not done with these players entirely, but I am concerned with their current output based off of the opportunity cost that you had to acquire them at and the opportunity currently that they are having on the roster and not capitalizing on it. When you're looking at the running back position, there are three total players on this category that I am concerned about. The first is Roshan Johnson. Yes, I know he has been slightly injured and that has been leading to some of the hiccups associated with him not totally banging on the walls and getting tons of success for the Chicago Bears. But I will point out the fact that he missed two games with injury, has since come back. He still has never eclipsed 45% of the snap share. The best snap share he had of the 45%, he only saw 10 total touches and produced under 50 total yards on those 10 touches. Um, a lot of stuff runs and it's not an offensive line issue like it has been in the past for these 
Chicago Bear teams. Um, I have been pleasantly surprised with our offensive line play this year. Uh, if you look at all metrics across the board, a lot of PFF metrics as well, as well as Brian Baldinger seems to like this Bears offensive line a lot. Uh, when you look at Fields playing, when you look at now Tyson Bajant playing, the issues that are happening with this offense are not with the offensive line. That is not an excuse for Roshan Johnson. He's just not really producing at the level that you need him to be. In PPR standing points, as of right now, he's getting... 5.9 PPR points per game on the season right now. Very meh. Backup makes sense. But again, like I said, with the injury to Khalil Herbert, the inefficiency early on and the benching of a guy like Donta Foreman early on in the season, you expected Roshan to be eating, but he has not been. It's been a lot more of a pass-heavy type of system so far, and it's been a little bit confusing when you're looking at this backfield. The next running back that is in the same vein is Kendra Miller down in New Orleans. Alvin Kamara's suspension of four turned into three games. Didn't see the field pretty much at all. Dealt with a little bit of a hiccup earlier on the season. He's only at four points, PPR points per game, sorry. Um, he just never could beat Jamal Williams. Now this, if you remember, as I was giving you the... Uh, when to acquire, basically, uh, week one, week nine, and 2024 and beyond, those when to buy segments earlier on in this offseason, I informed you all that Kendry Miller was a guy you would want to acquire before the week nine deadline. I am still standing pat with that statement because if he's going to get more work and he's going to succeed, it is going to be at this point in the season, right before the treadline, acquiring him at a very cheap price, a guy who has put up four PPR points per game. If he is on a team that is a non-contender, which is extremely likely based off of the fact that he was going at the very tail end of first round drafts or very beginning of second round in your drafts, you're either looking at a contender who is looking for more consistent points, albeit even if they are older points on their team or a young guy who is realizing, Hey, he's not doing anything. He's had opportunities all season to do it. Now might be a time to acquire him still advice, but I am a little bit concerned. His talent level should be better. His past game has shown and basically been predominantly the only way he's been getting involved. I would be trying to acquire him, but I am still concerned about a guy like Kendra Miller. Another running back that is concerning is Zach Charbonnet. He had one buoy game this last week in week eight, where he ballooned his value. He saw 68 yards on 10 total touches, right around 10 fantasy points on the season. That brought his average all the way up to 4.8 points per game on the season in PPR formats. Before that, he was at 2.6. Um, a little rough for Sharp. He still cannot break into the actual mold. And this is a guy, especially after the success that he had last week, I'm trying to move off of my teams. I'm trying to transition him to another player because it is injury specific only. Kenneth Walker continues to prove that he is dynamic, electric, and the back to have in that Seattle Seahawks offense. I expect much of the same for the rest of the season. I will not bank on injuries unless you have shown me that you are incapable of staying healthy across multiple facets of your game. <laughs> Devin A. Chain. But Sharp is a guy I'm trying to move away from. Um, I do have a couple of shares. I've moved off of one share, actually. I was able to recoup what should be an early second for Zach Charbonnet to a team that already has Kenneth Walker. That's a solid trade and a move that I would be attempting to do pretty heavily if you have Zach Charbonnet because, one, that's redundancy for the team that owns um, that owns. Why am I blanking on the name? I just said it. Kenneth Walker. Sorry. Uh, just a little bit of strategy advice for you guys. Never own the handcuffs to your own running backs because that does not give you added upside. That is a 
wasted insurance policy. I would rather have an insurance policy on someone else's back going down because it is a double fold of profit. You are both weakening the team by having the starter go down on their team while increasing your own team value by increasing the points going into it by the replacement for that team. Vice versa, it's a sunk cost, an added cost to get basically a worse version of the player on your team at a higher price than typically what another person would be spending on it. Because typically we have that mental capacity of being like, I should probably reach a little bit to get that Tony Pollard to spell Zeke, Zeke to spell Tony Pollard, that type of situation. You end up very seldomly in a situation where both backs are feasible. It doesn't happen anymore in today's fantasy space. And then there are two wide receivers in the D tier for me, Jonathan Mingo, the Carolina Panthers, and Trey Palmer. These are guys that both of them are sitting at respectively 6.4 for Jonathan Mingo and Trey Palmer is sitting at 5.1. Um, these are guys for me that I am just a little bit concerned overall with what exactly is going on. So Jonathan Mingo, he has seen over 86% of the snap share in every game, but one game this season, he was injured in the game, went out. And other than that, he has had 86, 87, 93, 98, 99% of the total snap shares. And he has posted one, two games total over 4.7 PPR points per game. Not great. He's seeing the target share slightly. Uh, he's right He's right around basically 14.5%, which is not great. If your name's not Adam Thielen on this Carolina offense, it's concerning, which again, for me, it's a guy with a lot of speed, a lot of size on the outside. He knows how to play this offense. It's very standard and very similar to what he was doing in college at Ole Miss. But for some reason, he just is not turning it into success. The targets haven't been there. The offensive line in Carolina is atrocious, and this offense in general is really, really bad. So I'm concerned long-term as to what to do with Jonathan Mingo, I'm kind of unsure of what to do. You most likely acquired him with a early second, potentially a late first if you were a truther. And it's probably time to realize that it's either going to be a sunk cost asset where you probably shouldn't have sped up on him, or you're going to have to basically ship him off, get what value you can for him, and basically hope that he doesn't have a post-hype sleeper another trope for you guys. I'm going to keep using that this episode type of resurgence. I don't really believe in post-type sleepers tough because we've seen time and time again that it, you're must, much more likely basically to see success in year one from these rookies that continues into multiple years of success than see a rookie not perform when they are on the field, not injured and not redshirted and hoping for it to actually pop up next year. So that's just where I'm at. And then Palmer, he's been on the field basically just as much as Jonathan Mingo has been in Tampa Bay ever since uh beginning of the season really ever since uh russell gage sorry his blanket on his name went down over the last six weeks he has seen 59 72 75 66 68 and 81 percent of the snap share in the offense and he has seen more than three targets twice all season uh, other than that it's three two one one three two um, not great for Palmer. He's got the speed factor and the potential upside, but he's definitely more of a deep sleeper and a deep player that I don't really want because I don't play a lot of best ball and playing your teams like best ball in redraft or dynasty is not the best way to do it. That's the D tier. All right. <clears throat> I have to do this every time because the comments I get on this are crazy. My C tier is not how you associate 
what C's are mentally. All of us in all of our grade school, all of our college, all of our high school, et cetera, any schooling you've ever had, C is considered usually pretty bad. Everyone's like, oh, damn, you did 70%. Oh, damn, you did 69%. Uh, you, you did average. You're way worse than a B, way worse than an A. I know that when I was growing up, it was A's. I had to get schools. Parents were super strict. Good school grades were all that mattered. A's, high B's, that's all that was acceptable typically for me. Uh, C's, bad connotation. For me, C, in this exercise for the report grades, this is exactly what I expected from these players at this point in the season. That is what I mean by C tier. They have not exceeded expectations at all. And thus, they are not in the B tier. They are not in the A tier. So again, prefacing that right now before I get into here, it's going to be hotly contested. I'm going to get people popping off like I do every time I do this segment. This is what I'm talking about. Into the quarterbacks. Three quarterbacks, three out of the top four taken. Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, Bryce Young, all in the C tier for me. Will Levis, one game sample size, looked great, was against the Atlanta Falcons, who have been reeling the last couple of weeks. Literally, just for some reason, incapable of stopping DeAndre Hopkins. Four receptions, three touchdowns, 148 yards. Take away DeAndre Hopkins and just stop one of those touchdowns. Will Levis's game looks significantly worse. 26.6 points per game in PPR standard scoring right now. He rushed 11 times yesterday for seven yards. Not great stats on the ground. Couldn't escape the pocket. Pressure is still an issue in Tennessee. I am very curious to see what this game looks like when they just put the clamps on DeAndre Hopkins next week and see if Will Levis can beat you passing the other guys. I'm still not confident that he can, but I expected this type of performance from Will Levis against a bad opponent if he had the supporting cast. As of right now, he has that supporting cast to be determined still with Levis. Anthony Richardson, second quarterback on here. Everyone's like, the rushing floor, Dallas, the rushing floor. He left three out of his four starts early. Gardner Minshew played in three out of four Anthony Richardson's first starts. He then had throwing shoulder season-ending surgery. We have no idea what the passing game is going to look like for Anthony Richardson. It already looked bad this season. Rushing grades were propping him up like a mofo. Expect more of the same. Rushing floor high. Absolutely no reason to be through the moon with a guy like Anthony Richardson mortgaging your future to acquire him. The injury makes him just cheaper. Status quo, anyone who has him, just going to toss him on the IR, sit him there. He's not going to ex exceed expectations. He is what we thought he was as of right now at this point in his career to be determined in 2024 if he surprises me or if he just does complete bias and confirmation for me and starts to flame out. Uh, Bryce Young, again, didn't expect success with this offense. I thought that... <laughs> It was a very fascinating situation, the trade aspect between the Chicago Bears and the Carolina Panthers in 2023, just from a case study, because you are looking at a team in Carolina that had the supporting cast that Chicago did not have and the draft capital that Chicago basically did not have, really, leading up to the 2023 draft prior to the trade, without the quarterback. And so in doing the trade... They transitioned, moved away from the true wide receiver one that they had on the team and future draft capital to then reassure and readdress the depth issues that would pop up in free agency if they weren't unable to sign their true guys, i.e. what Chicago has an issue with, i.e. what Carolina currently has an issue with. And they just kind of traded spots with the Bears. Also, one second, forgot to let the dog in. Be back in 10 seconds. 
right, sorry about that, guys. Uh, yeah, I have a Husky, and it is 27 degrees outside. He's usually good for about an hour, but Homie was definitely trying to get inside there. Uh, okay, yeah, so as I was saying, um, it, they just kind of traded places, and I never expected Bryce Young to have success with the current roster that they have. He has a good matchup with Adam Thielen, who, who is able to separate easily over the middle of the field, but throwing outside the numbers is still an issue for the guy Bryce Young. The offensive line is terrible. He is somehow surviving some of these monster hits that he is taking right now, but I don't expect it to continue going on into 2023. Um until this team changes drastically, I don't foresee a lot going differently for a guy like Bryce Young. So again, meeting that status quo, doing what I expected him to do in 2023. Next, we are going to touch on three wide receivers. First one, Jaden Reed, Green Bay Packers. Now, the score is a little bit better due to the consistency of yardage that he has had. He's currently averaging 10.5 PPR points per game. Pretty solid for a guy that was going in the back end of the second, early third rounds. But this team and this offense specifically is in shambles in Green Bay. This offense will not look the same as what it does right now in 2024, even going into the end of the season. Christian Watson is working his way back into form. Jaden Reed thus over the last couple weeks has transitioned back into that wide receiver three role that we expected him to be in this season behind Romeo Dubs and Christian Watson. And unless the wide receiver core starts to shape up quite a bit, I expect them to draft another one decently high or bring in another true veteran to kind of lead this room and lead this offense in general. Um, Reed has popped a little bit, but he has done nothing to really exceed expectations for me right now. Same is to go with the next two. Marvin Mims and Jackson Smith and Jigba in Denver and in Seattle, respectively, were always 2024 plays. They were never 2023 reliable plays that you should have been banking on to help your teams due to the target competition that was there. For JSN, you had Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett's 31, soon to be 32 going into this offseason. I expect him to be moved on from in this offseason, transitioning JSN to the true number two behind DK Metcalf, the true slot role and the true deep target guy. They'll bring in another young guy or you know, bringing a free agent guy, and it is a 24 all steam, all engine, full head a go for JSN. Not the case in 2023. He had one good game thus far when DK Metcalf missed. I expect it to be completely injury related because that's the only time he's going to get consistent targets. Other than that, it's three, four, five targets game, usually slot. And yes, he, he does get some of those red zone looks, but he doesn't get insane amount of red zone looks. Marvin Mims, opposite type of guy he's the deep shot but also the exact same capacity and the issue that we have is the two guys in front of him Cortland Sutton Jerry Judy target monsters compared to Mims Mims is still only seeing the field for 28% of the snaps right now not what you want to see he is at 7.5 PBR points per game that is due to the long bombs and long touchdowns again a best ball play he's doing what Jalen Hyatt should have been doing in the eyes of a lot of people and Marvin Mims should see success next year. Odds are we move on in Denver from one of Cortland Sutton and, or uh, Jerry Judy Mims then transitions into the wide receiver two role immediately gets more underneath work as well as those deep shots. He turns into more of a deep guy like Tyler Lockett, that type of game breaking deep speed. And if he gains that rapport with one of the best deep ball throwers in the league in Russell Wilson, if he's still there in Denver, it's a success I expect in 2024. But as of right now, no movement. Two tight ends, both of which were the two consensus tight end ones and twos in this year's class, Dalton Kincaid and Michael Mayer, doing exactly what I expected. Kincaid, 
a couple of flashy games. It was always going to be whether or not he could beat out Knox. I didn't think he was going to be able to on most of the pass blocking downs because Kincaid didn't really have a ton of pass blocking chops, albeit he was a good but not great pass blocker in college. Kincaid thus is sitting at 8.8 points per game. If you take out his last touchdown game, uh, that goes down to 5.4 again. Uh, this is due to an injury of Knox. Will he succeed most likely a little bit more over the back end of the season with Knox going on IR potentially, but I expect this to be a move for next year. Um, A lot more rapport, a lot more team building. And then again, we expected some Kincaid bump up, but with Knox going down in this first game, the guy who saw the most work in uptick is my boy Khalil Shakir. Very excited for that. Hoping continued success there, but that's the 2022 rookie report card and we're closed on that season. Michael Mayer on the other point, again, always had to beat out Austin Hooper, always had to prove himself in this offense. His snap share has been increasing. His overall role in the offense has not though. He's seeing the field more out snapping Hooper by quite a good margin right now, but it has not translated into success currently for Michael Mayer. It's a 2024 move, and it is a 2024 move where they are in an offense not led by Jimmy Garoppolo or by Josh McDonald's. Uh, We need change to happen in this offense for these players to see increased value. Until that happens, I am not in on them to increase their value in 2023. Going on to the B tier, we have three running backs and three wide receivers. These are guys that are slightly above expectations, slightly above where I anticipated them being, based off of my first, you know, touching point, basically. Uh, Bijan Robinson, after the first four weeks, um, I didn't expect a lot from Bijan Robinson this year. Um, I expect the flashy plays and everything like that, but it is a pretty true 50-50 split right now with him and Tyler Algier. Um, This offense is going to be the hindrance for him, and thus... He can't be in the A tier. Uh, he just can't. He, he's great. He's electric. He's flashy when he's on the field. But I'm telling you guys, it's it's just deadly right now. Uh, he has a good running scheme to be in, but the touches and totals that he's going to get are probably the worst talent to touch total that we've seen in the NFL since A.J. Brown, that rookie season. Uh, it's kind of the same type of thing. So if they don't fully commit to him later on down the year or into the offseason, I would be a little bit concerned for long-term uptick value for a guy like Bijan Robinson. Uh, the opposite vein is a guy that I didn't anticipate any type of breakout until 2024. He was showing some flashes in the first quarter, but has continued that steady beat of the drum. Sitting at 8.3 points per game in PPR, Tajay Spears in Tennessee. Um, Derrick Henry most likely not being traded at the deadline, albeit that has a couple of hours to transpire, and I could be wrong by the time you are hearing this, but... He's consistently seeing the field. He's consistently seeing pass down work already. And for an offense that is now handing off the ball and the reins to Will Levis, who likes to check down a little bit more than what we liked Ryan Tannehill to do, uh, we should see an uptick in targets even more for Tajay Spears, a little bit more playing time and probably closer to a 10 points PPR points per game average for him throughout the season, which for a guy that most people were getting at the back end of the second, early third is pretty great. Excited to see what I've seen so far in 2024 is going to be all systems go for Tajay Spears. Realistically, probably going to be one of my highest above ECR in my personal ranks for the 2024 regular fantasy season. 
Another guy that's been steady over the last couple weeks since his emergence that first week after the midway point is Jaleel McLaughlin in Denver. Uh, Even with Jelmonte Williams coming back and getting a true lion share touch, uh, the pass game still is running a lot through Jaleel McLaughlin. They've been using him a lot as a slot receiver over a guy like Marvin Mims, which is ironically why I have him in this category and not Mims. Uh, He's kind of doing what we were wishing Mims was being used for right now. And honestly, kind of what we wished that... uh, Jerry Judy was being used more. The underneath targets are McLaughlin's to lose. They don't use the tight end almost at all in Denver. It's basically all running backs and all Jerry Judy underneath. I expect that to continue. McLaughlin has been the biggest surprise probably in fantasy space this year in 2023. Three wide receivers. They are all here for the same reason. I expect all three of these wide receivers who I didn't anticipate having great 2023 seasons to be steady contributors for your fantasy teams at the end, going into the playoffs of 2023. Rasheed Rice in Kansas City, Michael Wilson in Arizona, and Demario Douglas in New England. Uh, We'll start with Douglas because he's the freshest. The New England Patriots lost their number one wide receiver, and we're already missing their number two wide receiver in Kendrick Bourne with an ACL tear for the rest of the season, and Tyquan Thornton still nursing the injuries from last year. Demario Douglas has been the most consistent pass catcher outside of Hunter Henry on this team, and I anticipate that to continue now that Kendrick Bourne has gone down. Douglas should see a lot of quick outs, a lot of quick routes, and his PP our numbers should be bonkers over the next couple of weeks. Bourne was seeing an average of nine targets over the last three weeks. I anticipate Douglas to take over those additional targets, two to three a game, putting him around the nine to 10 per game. And if he's catching that same 75% catch rate that he is on the season right now, expect a solid 10 points per game floor for Demario Douglas, even on an abysmal New England offense with Mac Jones at the helm. Rasheed Rice, kind of a similar vein, was leading the league in drops through the first quarter of the season. That's why he was in the C category for me going into that week four analysis that I did for you all. But as of right now, in this Kansas City offense, he has taken the reins in that wide receiver position. He is the wide receiver one on the Kansas City Chiefs right now. Travis Kelsey is the only target share holder above him on the team right now. And there will not be deep shots to him most likely, but his ability for yards after the catch is incredible. He's continuing to grow and learn the offense. He's becoming more reliable with his hands. I expect this to continue. Um, Again, the Chiefs offense notoriously starts pretty slow throughout the season and then picks up towards playoff games. If that continues, Rasheed Rice should be a monster for you in your fantasy playoffs. And then Michael Wilson has been a steady, steady drumbeat for the Arizona Cardinals. Consistent target share outside of Trey McBride now, who's taken over from Zach Ertz and the reemergence of James Conner once he gets back from IR after week nine. I expect Michael Wilson to basically be the only wide receiver getting targets. Um, you, you have Marquise Hollywood Brown doing some stuff, but this offense thrown the ball a lot. There's a lot of mouths to feed here, but Michael Wilson has shown himself to be the true wide receiver one, honestly, on this team. I expect continued success. And again, he's already at 9.6 PPR points per game. I expect that to be his minimum floor towards the back end of the season when they bring in Kyler Murray, who can be a much more consistent and dynamic passer in this Arizona offense. That's the B's. Now onto the A's. These are guys who are exceeding expectations based off of what I anticipated from. Um, Now, does that mean I'm acquiring them all? No. Does it mean that I'm trying to trade off of them before the floor falls out on some of them? Absolutely. Uh, First guy on the list, the only quarterback in the A category, CJ Stroud, sitting at 16.7 points per game. Um, That is with a start in every game this season thus far. He has been as steady of an eddy as you can get at the quarterback position and as a quarterback too, as a rookie, which is absolutely impossible to do when you take into the fact that he has not been running the ball almost 
Paul. Uh, very consistent, very solid. He's probably pretty acquirable, and he has his before the draft stock and his comp for a lot of people was Jared Goff. He has the capacity to do and have the trajectory in his career identical to what Jared Goff has done. So if you can acquire him for a straight up first in Superflex, it's something that you should be attempting to do. He's not doing anything to light the world on fire. Most people that have him most likely aren't relying on him because they drafted him extremely high in the draft. And odds are they're not competing because most people that are drafting at the top of the draft in your fantasy dynasty rookie drafts are not competing the next year unless they traded for the picks. Um, if CJ Stroud is on a team like that in your league, try to sniff around because a 2024 mid-round first may seem more appealing to them than a guy who has not been absolutely lighting the world on fire, but has just been a steady eddy. A guy that has been lighting the world on fire, Devon A-Chain. Uh, I won't be this one to a dead horse. I'm in the minority that is telling you to ship him away as much as possible. Um, he is going to be coming off of IR. He is currently sitting at 25.4 PPR points per game. If people are expecting him to do the exact same in his offense, cool, sounds good. His touch total is still averaging 13 total on the season per game. If you want to ride that lightning of two PPR points per touch as the average for this running back, go for it. But that is absolute God tier numbers that I just cannot get on board on. I would be cashing out if I had him anywhere, but because of the size, I still don't have him anywhere. Um, again, unpopular opinion. I understand no one really is in the same boat as me. I just want out if I have him. So that's my advice to you. Uh, it's just not sustainable long-term. The touches and efficiency metrics are absolutely insane. Just do the deep dive yourself and you'll realize what I'm talking about. Uh, you may like the points and may think it's good, but the odds of it continuing success would have to break basically every metric outlier known to man at the running back position. Uh, a guy at the running back position who has started to pick up over the last couple of weeks, including his breakout game on Monday night against the Las Vegas Raiders, is Jameer Gibbs. 16.1 PPR points per game after last week's and last night showing against the Vegas Raiders. Um, pretty solid. He's starting to get a touch total. Um, him and Montgomery are now truly showing you the one-two punch that we saw very early on with the Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift in this system. There is enough touches for both of them to eat. Uh, Gibbs did see a couple of catches that were pretty crazy. It did dial down towards the end of the game, but at the beginning of the game, he saw like the first seven out of the first like nine touches went to Jameer Gibbs and they just decided they were never going to look back. He had like 190 almost all purpose yards last year, 20 touches, just a monster looking really good, really solid. Uh, it, yeah, he's, he's doing good. Uh, he's a guy that I was lower on than consensus. And I'll admit that I was wrong on Gibbs for what we've seen so far. Um, if this continues, he's going to be locked and loaded in that top 10 of running back tier for, a very long time. <laughs> uh, first wide receiver, a guy that everyone still should be on is Puka Nakua. Since Cup has come back, you've seen basically no downtick in the production, just in the total targets for Puka Nakua. The offense is a little bit concerning right now with Matthew Stafford most likely going down with an injury, potentially going on IR with his thumb injury. Um, I believe he had a dislocation mid-game and then continued to play. We know he likes to play through injuries and he barely misses time unless it's something serious. But I would be a little bit concerned for the passing game volume. Um, that should be an uptick, obviously, for a guy like Daryl Henderson until Kyron Williams comes back. But Puka Naku is a guy that I still want on my team consistently. He should have success in the Sean McVay offense as long as they have a quarterback that can keep it running. And I expect that to be the case with Matthew Stafford this year, potentially next year. And if it isn't him, they're going to be bringing in someone who definitely can. Um, this is a sneaky spot if they do want to move on from a guy like Matthew Stafford that people should pay attention to for the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes. Um, but that's just, again, a little bit out of the way. Keep Nakua on your team. 
Jordan Addison absolutely feasting right now, even without a guy like Kirk Cousins in the team. I want to see what he does over the next two weeks. Um, if he has continued success without Kirk Cousins, I would suggest trying to acquire him. Um, it's probably still going to be the cheapest that you're going to acquire him, and obviously the success is good. Um, but if he starts to kind of have some issues due to quarterback play, I would be trying to probably move off of him. This is probably the most volatile of the wide receivers currently on this list that I'm going to talk about. It's due to the fact that if he isn't performing at all, being without a doubt the best receiver on the team with Justin Jefferson out and the team needing to do short to intermediate passes due to the fact that Kirk Cousins is no longer the quarterback, um, you should be a little bit concerned because once they get Kirk back and once they get Jefferson back, I don't think the target totals will be there entirely. So he would have to basically keep up that crazy efficiency with less targets. Don't think that that's feasible. So he's a name to watch, but he is in the A tier because he's exceeding expectations for what I anticipated because I didn't expect Kirk to go down and I didn't expect Justin Jefferson to go down. The guy that is doing what I wanted him to do all freaking year and the dude that I'm the most happy that I have the most shares of is Josh Downs in Indianapolis, currently sitting at 12.4 PPR points per game, solid wide receiver two flex numbers all year, baby. Uh, he's outperforming and outpacing Zay Flowers on an offense with much worse quarterback play right now, but he does have a nice connection with a guy in Gardner Minshew. Um, it's very, very nice. And you're seeing exactly what he can do. He dominates at the catch point as an underneath wide receiver, which is something that they were desperately needing to have on this team. It allows for Michael Pittman to eat on the outside. Um, they get one more wide receiver or one more true tight end monster in this offense. And Indy is going to be cooking for years to come. Josh Downs is a guy I'm trying to acquire because for some reason, people still are not talking about him like he should be. All the hype's on Zay Flowers. All the hype is like, oh, look at how good Zay is. Josh Downs is literally outperforming Zay Flowers right now on the year in a points per game basis none of that just raw points bs i'm telling you right now go and get josh downs zay flowers solid piece to acquire too exceeding expectations i thought it was going to be a lot muddier in that baltimore offense but it is not it is mark andrews and zay flowers leading the way everyone else get out of the way He's a guy I'd be acquiring too, but um, th these two guys are the two undersized wide receivers that are popping off the most. Really, Addison, Downs, and Flowers all being the undersized guys are showing that route running is king in the NFL, and if you can route run and separate, that's all that matters. Um, it's, it's very impressive. Another guy who's doing the same thing, exact same points per game to PPR standard scoring as a Flowers Tank Dell at 12.2. That's even with missing a couple of games. This dude has been very successful. Another underside wide receiver and probably another guy I'd be sneakily adding. No one's really talking about Tank Dell because of the injuries. He kind of fell off the map a little bit over the last couple of weeks. I'd be trying to acquire him. He's got that deep speed, the same that Downs, Flowers, Addison has, the shiftiness that all of them have, and he might be the best route runner out of all four. Very exciting, very enticing, and these are four wide receivers that I don't think would take as much to acquire as some people may think in their head based off of their performances. And then the last A, without a doubt, the only tight end that is worth really talking about this year, Sam Laporta. The targets are there. The offense is there. He shows the offense's cards a little bit by being on the field. Every time he's out there, you know it's a passing down. It's either going to go to him, Gibbs, or Amon Ross St. Brown. Pick your poison as to which one. But he has been tried and true exactly what he was basically lauded to be during the preseason hype. And I'm very excited to see him and have him on multiple teams. But that has been the rookie report card episode, guys. In and out in 45 minutes. Talked in total about 37 players this time. Um, so new names from last 
uh, last check-in in week four. Some older names kind of sliding off the list, not really even worth talking about at this point just because they haven't done anything. Um, injuries have opened up a lot of opportunity for that B and C tier to succeed over the back end of the season. So going into the fantasy playoffs, I'll be retouching on this week 12 to talk to you about kind of where we're sitting with this overall playoff outlook, which one of these guys will truly be helping you, which ones you should be acquiring and which ones you should be sending off before that. Well, not before, but basically right at that trade deadline for your NFL fantasy teams and before the season truly starts heating up for playoff time, because values are going to spike and drop like crazy during the off season as they always do. So getting ahead of those trends is often the best move that you can do. If you're trying to acquire rookies going, into their second year. Again, this has been the Rookie Rundown midseason Rookie Report Card episode. My name is Dallas. Until next time, have a great time and make sure to be looking out for those prospect premonition polls on the main Dynasty Warzone show weekly. Until next time, I'll talk to you later, okay? Bye. When we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. a game yesterday and if we win one today that's two in a row we win one tomorrow that's called a winning streak